within the first seven seconds of meeting someone, you're making 11 judgments about that person unconsciously. You're not even aware that your brain is making these assumptions about this person. And then you spend the rest of your time after those initial impressions looking for information to confirm those existing impressions you made of that person, whether or not they were correct or not. So you can see how if you're in the legal field and you're not aware of that fact or that you're not able to be conscious and say, okay, I still have to be neutral here or I have to remain objective. If you're not a law firm that's understanding that, like there's no way you're going to survive. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Our guest today is on a mission to educate and empower people to create a world where everyone is treated with dignity and respect. With a robust background as an employment law attorney, she is now leveraging that expertise as the founder and chief civility officer at Train Extra, where she helps leaders create positive, safe, and respectful workplaces through customized training and coaching. She is also a TEDx speaker and an absolutely inspirational human being. Let's welcome our next lawyer who leads, Sajel Thacker. Sajel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. I am looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. Just so you know, I've recently started some of these episodes with a little gratitude to get the conversation going. So I was wondering if you could share with our listeners what your favorite moment was so far today. Oh, it was actually right before this call. I'm part of this collaboration with these group of people. And there was one point where I was looking at the screen and I just saw literally the best diversity that could be represented right on the screen. And I've been a part of a lot of the collaborations. And just to be able to see that on my screen, I had to actually stop and say, I am so grateful to be here. And I actually said, look around, look at the beautiful diversity on this call and that we're putting our heads together to collaborate. Like whatever we do, it's going to be so impactful. I love that question. And what a great way to start our conversation. Oh, I love that so much. And isn't that the best when we're amongst so many different people and we all get to work on something together? There is an energy there that cannot be replicated in any other way. Totally agree with you. I'm feeling grateful for that story. But also, I, I'm just really excited because you have a lot of really interesting stories to share. And I know you're doing some really great work at Train Extra. But before we get to that, can you share with us what led you to channel your experience as an employment lawyer into the work that you're doing today? Absolutely. My legal journey began in 2000. That's when I got licensed. And for most of my career, I was a defense litigator. So I was representing management and HR in cases that primarily dealt with harassment and discrimination, wrongful termination type of cases. So that's what I spent the majority of my career doing. And then during this time, I discovered that I can do something to help organizations be more proactive rather than waiting for the lawsuit to come. And I started doing some training and facilitating at some universities. And I'm like, you know what, this is where I can make a difference and utilize my legal skills and the stories that I learned, the experiences that I'd gone through both personally and professionally to deliver customized workshops. And so that led me to what I'm currently doing. I started my own company in 2017 to really work with organizations to create better workplaces. That's wonderful. I know in your TEDx, you had talked about these really powerful stories that you had as a child. Share with us 
some of the stories, especially you had the TEDx that was called The Pain, Power, and Paradox of Bias. That TEDx talk really came from just like full stop on everything that I had personally gone through. So I'm a daughter of immigrants. My parents moved to the United States in 1974. I grew up in an all Italian neighborhood where we were the only Indian family. So I dealt with a lot of harassment, discrimination, bullying at a very young age. And so in my TEDx, I share some examples of what it was like to be on the victim side of bias, being on the receiving end of these types of behaviors, which were very harmful to me. I share this one story about I was in high school and I was on my way to lunch and I stopped at my locker and there was a note that somebody had put on my locker that said, go back to your country. By the way, I was born here. So this really is my country, but it didn't matter. It was still very hurtful and harmful. And then later on that same day, some girls started making fun of me, calling me dot head. I just lost it at that moment. And so I talk about how it's unfair that children of immigrants, anyone that's being treated that way, uh, to have to go through that, but really helping people see that we could do something about those situations. And what I decided to do was go to law school, become an employment lawyer, and try to do what I can to affect change at the source. So as far as how I got to employment law, that really just unfolded on its own. I first initially started doing a workers' compensation and then I started doing unemployment law and really just got drawn to the cases that dealt with harassment, discrimination. It felt like since I'd gone through it, I could do something about it. And that was the twist in my story because I ended up becoming a defense attorney. So now I got to actually see bias from a whole different perspective. And becoming a defense attorney was not really any kind of plan I had. Again, it just fell into my lap. It was a great opportunity. I took it. But it was pivotal in my journey because I now got to see bias from a different perspective because I was actually now defending people who had been accused of harassment. So here I was doing a total flip. It really changed my perspectives because it was at this point that I really had to recognize that I had to work through my own biases I had because of my own experience so that I can actually do a good job as an attorney. And so there was a lot of inner work that I had to do there to battle and deal and overcome. Once you start doing this work and you understand what your own biases are, and especially unconscious bias, which is an area that is not talked about a lot, then you can understand the power that it has over our day-to-day -day actions and then give us strategies to help mitigate that. Sorry for that long answer, but hopefully that kind of sheds a little bit more light on the TEDx talk and why I decided to do it. No, I think it's wonderful. And it was so powerful to watch your whole conversation on how much information our brain actually has to take in every second versus how much of the percentage of that is conscious was really eye-opening. That's actually one of the other things that led me to doing the TEDx talk is I just saw that there was so much lack of awareness on that topic of unconscious bias. Just the word itself, bias, has a negative connotation to it. So people will shut down when we start having these conversations. And I'm like, wait a second, we cannot get to belonging until we help people understand what unconscious bias is, how it's normal, and that there are things we can do to learn what our own hidden biases are so that we don't harm other people unintentionally, unconsciously. Because as a defense attorney, that's what I started seeing. I was defending these managers and these leaders. And when I started to actually get into what was leading to these situations, it was a lot of hidden bias that was resulting in microaggressions in these subtle acts of exclusion that were happening over time. And because nobody had had the conversation with that leader when it first started to happen, 
the behavior continued and now it looks like intentional discrimination. And here comes a lawsuit. I want to flip that dynamic altogether. And so in my trainings, what I did was I started replacing that word bias with the word belief. And it made a significant difference because now when I would say, oh, we all have hidden beliefs, people were more open to listening to the discussion versus me saying we all have hidden biases. Because again, that word itself, bias, has become vilified in media and all of that stuff. And so that really was the motivation. I'm like, I need to figure out a way to get more people to understand what unconscious bias is. And so that TEDx opportunity came my way and I was like all over it. I really love when you talked about the vilification of the word bias and how bias is actually, it's not good or bad. We all have biases. It's a matter of being aware of what they are and then proactively think about how they positively or negatively affect interactions with people and our beliefs about people, I think it's so interesting that you changed bias to belief and how impactful that can be for people because it almost validates the idea that a change in language can really help people connect better with either concepts or other people and how important a word can be to someone else and helping them evolve. 100%. We've seen so many words change in just the last couple of years. And that's good. That means we're growing. That means that we're actually seeing people's perspectives and understanding that, hey, these words need to change. Another word that, you know, I've been changing a lot of, too, is the word microaggressions. I realize that word, just because it has micro in it, tends to minimize it for some people, makes people feel like it's no big deal when microaggressions are super harmful, very harmful. And so I read this book, Subtle Acts of Exclusion. Is they're reframing microaggressions and calling it subtle acts of exclusion. And I just really love that. And so in my workshops, I've changed now and try not to use the word microaggressions because I know that it might minimize the impact or the potential impact of those actions. And so we absolutely have to recognize that and we have to be very mindful of the words we use as well because people are more sensitive. People are wanting things to change to be better for them and the future generations. So I think it's all good stuff that's happening. This is why I love language so much, because it really does matter. And if you're not familiar with the larger concepts of what micro versus macro is, micro can just mean, like you said, little, right? People might feel like that's not enough. And this idea of changing it to subtle, that's such a small shift, but such an important one. But it really just reframes the way that you can think about the concept without it feeling like it's taking away from the importance of it. Absolutely. And just like you said, micro versus macro, right? Just because of the association with those words, you could see how somebody might think, oh, that person is just being too sensitive. They just need to stop being so sensitive about everything. But what they don't realize is that microaggressions happen daily and frequently. And so when you look at the potential for harm, it's actually greater in many cases than macroaggressions are because they're not happening as often. And especially now with heightened awareness, people are less likely to occur in macroaggressions because they know that everything's being documented. We're recording videos. And so people are more careful about that, whereas microaggressions have actually increased significantly because we're doing everything remotely. We're in a virtual world. And so it's a lot easier to say something or engage in a subtle act and nothing's going to happen if you do that. So it's more likely to happen, actually. 
That's so interesting. Going back to what we were saying before, you started to see something about yourself that you needed to work on as you started to defend people being accused of harassment and bullying. You started to see your own biases or your own beliefs, and you needed to do that work and that you could pass on that work. Was there a certain instance that you could share? Was it a case that you were working on or a client? Was there something in particular event that happened or was this something that just happened over time? Yeah, no, it just happened over time. It's because as an employment defense attorney, I saw so many cases that dealt with inappropriate comments, sexual overtures, all kinds of demeaning behavior, abusive conduct that was harmful to the workplace. I always was baffled by the fact that there was ineffective training, that people were getting promoted up the ladder because they met their numbers. They could get the job done, but they were not good leaders. They were not able to lead a team of people And so really just started educating more, started talking to people about what they should and shouldn't have done and just was like, wow, okay, I can't blame the supervisor because he hasn't received the adequate training or education or information on how to do his job. So I started just going and evaluating what I was doing. I was receiving excellent experience and opportunities. I got to try cases. I knew it wasn't the right fit for my sort of my core values because I'm more of a conflict resolution person. And so... In there, I felt like if I represent the company and something really did happen and the person should be compensated, that maybe I can effect change at that source. Also, the other problem I started seeing was that a lot of times companies were waiting too long to address this behavior. So they were waiting till it was a formal complaint or some sort of illegal conduct versus dealing with the behavior when it first started off as being rude maybe like uncivil, subtle acts of exclusion or behavior that was maybe not illegal, but short of that. And they weren't addressing it properly. And so this whole idea of how can I do what I can to help, it just came together that, especially after my son was born, decided I didn't want to work for the law firm anymore. I needed to work from home so I could be at home with him. And when I started doing more education at that point, it just came to life. Like, this is my passion. Here's where I can make an impact. And so I just went for it. I love when people just go for it. (laughs) I really do. I think it's really hard to make that change. Can you tell me a little bit about that decision-making process? How did you decide, okay, I'm going to go and start my own business? What was that process? What did it look like? Yeah, I went on my own and I worked from home for a number of years. And then as my son got older, like most of us, we need a steady income. And so I said, I'm going to go back to working again. And so for a short period of time, I went back to work and I needed to be with my son more. So that was the driving factor was even when I went into that job, I said, look, I'm not looking to work law firm hours. I've been there. I've done that. I'm not looking to do that. I just want eight to five. But it soon became me working around the clock on the weekends and really felt like I was back in the law firm setting. So it just wasn't the right fit. But my primary motivation has always been to do what I can to be around my son as much as I can. When I decided to leave that position, I said, you know what? It's now or never. What makes you feel motivated, makes you feel fulfilled? What kind of difference you want to make? Give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, you still have your law degree. And so you can always fall back on it. And so I just truly, I think that was the first time where I would tell you that I just truly believed in myself and had faith in myself and said, Let's go try to do this. And I'm just super grateful to be able to do the work I am doing today and then still standing because it was a hard decision. It was a very hard decision. I'm sure. So let's talk about Train Extra a little bit. What services is Train Extra providing to people? Yeah, I focus in on how do I help 
companies create better workplaces. So I have a few programs that I offer, starting with civility at work. And I still do anti-harassment training. I do your diversity inclusion training. I do a lot of the unconscious bias and subtle acts of exclusion workshops. I do allyship skills. So I do a lot of different topics. But my number one program that I really, I'm trying to just push as much as I can on companies is called Civility at Work. And it's a program that I created because I've done all these other trainings. I saw a lot of gaps happening where they weren't connecting the dots between all these different programs. And so a lot of times people just didn't know what they should do in certain situations. And so I created a program to really give a full foundation of what employers expect from employees and what employees can expect from their teammates and each other. So it's really about helping people see that, look, we all play a piece of the culture directly and indirectly with our behaviors and our perspectives. We're working from home, globalization, multi-generations work together. You're going to have diversity. What that diversity looks like in your organization is going to depend on where you are and who you have, but you're going to have diversity, whatever that is. And so inherent in that is that there's going to be a likelihood of conflict and it could be positive, it could be negative conflict, but there's going to be conflict and people need to know what to do when there is conflict arising from our differences. How do we overcome that? I get to bring a lot of the employment law cases and the stuff that I've seen organizations do and not do and be able to tell those stories in these workshops and really give practical guidance to people. Because a lot of times people come out of the training and then they just don't know how to apply it to their day to day. So I'm all about here's five concrete things you can take away and start doing right now to make a difference. Can you share some of those practical guidances that you give? Yeah, sure. So first step is awareness, right? We're all different. We all have different experiences. Our unconscious biases are also going to be different from each other. So we need to understand our own unconscious bias. There's an online tool called the implicit association test. All of these psychologists came together and put this online tool and it's free it's broken out into different categories and you could just go through and just take those different sections. And then it just identifies for you what your natural tendencies are. And that information is so valuable, right? It's so valuable because, you know, it helps you pause. So when you're making important decisions and you do this online tool and it says, okay, in these kinds of situations, you have a natural tendency to lean in this way. You have that valuable information that you can factor in to your decision-making process, make a better decision. That would be an example of a practical tool that I would give in one of my workshops. Another one would be, look, when you're about to make a decision, build in a pause. Because the difference between our conscious thinking and our unconscious thinking is if you think about it, it's a matter of speed. And so if we can just slow that process down, because the scary part of unconscious bias too is that those unconscious beliefs that you hold are there because of something you've gone through. And so you might actually have a different opinion about that situation now that you're older and you have experienced a lot more in life, but your unconscious bias might be because of something you've gone through a long time ago. So building in that age for holding off is super important. And then ask why. Ask yourself, why am I leaning in this direction? Why am I making this judgment about that person when I don't even know that? Really figuring out what is really causing that. Is that just because you're hardwired to be that way? Is that because of something someone said to you sometime? Really just asking why you're reacting that way. And then to take action. And I talk about in there just the platinum rule versus the golden rule. And so I think we've all heard of the golden rule, which is to treat other people in the way that you want to be treated. And then I'm encouraging people to use what's now being called the platinum rule, 
which is to really treat other people in the way that they want to be treated. And everybody wants to be treated differently. And so in order for you to figure out how they want to be treated, you actually have to make time and be present and connect with other people so that you can learn how that person wants to be treated. And so those are just some strategies. I love that so much. It's interesting that golden rule versus that platinum one, because the platinum concept of treat others the way they want to be treated is actually really aligned with, I think, a lot of the harassment laws, right? Harassment is not in the eye of the harasser. It's in the eye of the person that's being harassed. Totally agree with you. Yeah. Is it possible for you, just because of the majority of the audiences in the legal industry, is there an example that you could bring to the table that you've seen at law firms or some sort of legal organization that you've seen specifically? The issue with the legal industry is that they need to do more to educate the lawyers and people in the legal profession in general about bias and cross-cultural competency, too. I went on practicing law for, it wasn't until way into my career where I actually started learning about unconscious bias and how it impacts every single decision we make. And this is something that needs to be taught to law school students, right? It's a major gap. The first step would be for law firms to really invest in effective training in the legal industry. How an attorney does the initial interview, an intake of witness or of a plaintiff or a defense, and they're not sure how their unconscious bias might be impacting whether they make that person feel welcome or not. That's going to impact the ability of how they're going to litigate that case or how they're going to manage that case. Agreed. And I really agree with you also on the law student note, like we have to start as early as possible how this influences the legal industry when people are still learning about the law at the very inception of it. And I know you talked about this a little while back, but I also just wanted to point out how important it is that pause and asking why. You're really spot on when you say speed is a big problem. We interact with someone, we immediately make our assessment of things and make conclusions, whether conscious or unconscious, and really taking that moment to really ask ourselves why as if we were asking someone else why. I think it's just something that we don't do enough of. And it's like a muscle. Like we have to do it often in order to get better at it and to think more critically about the way we perceive the world. Absolutely. Within the first seven seconds of meeting someone, when I say meeting someone, like you just, you see them with your eyes or maybe you haven't even talked to that person yet. But within the first seven seconds of seeing somebody or meeting somebody, you're making 11 judgments about that person unconsciously. You're not even aware that your brain is making these assumptions about this person. And then you spend the rest of your time after those initial impressions looking for information to confirm those existing impressions you made of that person, whether or not they were correct or not. So you can see how if you're in the legal field and you're not aware of that fact or that you're not able to be conscious and say, okay, I still have to be neutral here or I have to remain objective. This is another example for the legal field. I was doing workplace investigations as a defense attorney. So a lot of employment law investigations. And then it wasn't way into doing these investigations when I finally started working for an organization where we got put into some very specific training where one of those training courses was trauma-informed witness interviewing. And I was like, wait a second, I am just learning this right now? Because this is completely different than the way we've been taught how to do it our whole career. So that when somebody's gone through a trauma, the way that their brain processes information and how they remember certain details is very different than someone who hasn't gone through a trauma. A lot has gone on in the last decade, a lot of neuroscience, a lot of things we've learned about what the brain can and can't do that changes the way that we do this moving forward. And so if you're not a law firm that's understanding that, like, 
there's no way you're going to survive. You know why I have trouble sometimes when I think about all these things, sometimes I can get overwhelmed because I'm like, okay, like I need to be hyper vigilant about this. I obviously have so many things that are going on that are influencing whether right or wrong about how I'm interacting with people. In addition to that, I'm sure the other side has all of these things that they're doing the same to me. How do you take all of those inputs and all of this information and not feel overwhelmed by it, but be able to focus on it in a kind of calm and intentional way? I think that question is different for everybody, right? Like how we process information. The way that I look at it is really just how do I show up better tomorrow than I am today? Simple as that. There's tons of room for improvement, but I think that there is a lot that we're learning and it's all about just continuing to learn. And it's not about us being perfect at getting all of this at once or us not making mistakes, but it's about learning because there's a lot that we've learned recently that we can apply to our situations now especially in this very unique moment in history because of COVID and because of just the things that we've gone through in these past few years, there's a lot of people doing this work. And so we need to maximize the impacts. Thank you for the statement of saying we just have to be better than today and we can make mistakes and we don't have to be perfect. I think that's, at least for me, I need to constantly remind myself of that. (laughs) I think many lawyers tend to reach for perfection and that can be very harmful. And so being reminded that the actions that we're taking and to be aware and to continuously try and to learn more about ourselves and our own unconscious biases is a good step. And we continue towards that trajectory and not fault ourselves if we're not doing everything perfectly. Absolutely. And look, I've been, I'm there. I have that natural tendency as well, but it's all about retraining your mind and it's possible. There are tools, there are strategies to help you break those tendencies. Just the other day, I laughed out loud at myself because I was like, I was watching a movie and then in my head, like all these thoughts kept popping up about, I need to do this and I've got this to do. And then the guilt kicked in. Why am I watching this? All of that. And then it's, I felt all of it and I just, I actually laughed out loud and I'm like, stop, just stop and enjoy this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I've 100% been there. I, I literally have had to say out loud, stop. And you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I don't need to do all of that. I can just be fine right here. But it's constant effort. It's work. It takes work. One of my favorite books is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That book really was a game changer for me when I read that. And I really try to live that as much as I can every day. It's not always as good as I'd, <laughs> as good as I'd like, but I do strive to just try to be present as much as I can. But also just coming back to this idea of being super aware of the unconscious biases, it reminded me the other day I was at a birthday party for my son's friend and there were a bunch of moms there. And I didn't know anyone for anyone that has young kids. You're always looking for your mom friends. And there was this woman that looked exactly like my husband's sister. And I love my husband's sister. I think she's wonderful. And I was immediately drawn to her. And later I told him, I said, she really reminds me of your sister. And he goes, yeah. How? And I said, you know what? She's actually nothing like her sister. She just looks like your sister. And it was connected to her just because she looked like your sister. And I had very good feelings about your sister. And it could be that quick that you can make an assumption and like someone or not like someone just based on them looking like someone that you like or dislike. And it's being able to pause for a second and be like, oh, yeah, why? Because she looked like someone I knew and how important that is in thinking about how that can inform a lot of different people that you meet. Yeah. And it's totally normal, right? Like we all do that. And the issue becomes when you're making important decisions, right? Who to hire, who to promote, who you're going to give certain benefits to. So to go back to that question you asked before about how do you not get overwhelmed? At least the other thing you could do is 
when you're making really important decisions, they're going to have major impact on people's lives, especially then it's important to realize our natural tendencies, right? But day-to-day interactions, we all do that. And there's plenty of science to back this up. But the point is that if we don't understand how it could impact our decision-making as an attorney, who are you going to pick on a jury? How are you going to treat a witness? How are you going to assess credibility if you're doing investigations? How are you going to depose somebody? If you can't, as an attorney, gain somebody's trust to be able to share information with you, to be able to tell you the truth so that you can come up with the legal plan to help defend that person, if they don't feel comfortable opening up to you, you can't do your job. So I think it's very important to recognize that this unconscious bias is acting like you're on autopilot. And so how do you get off of autopilot in these very important times so that you can make sure not only that you succeed whatever your profession is, but that you give this person a fair opportunity for who they are here today, not something that happened to you. For example, with me, the kids that were bullying me when I grew up were Italian. And to this day, if I meet somebody and I find out they're Italian, I have a negative reaction immediately to that. You can't blame me because of what I've gone through. I'm going to have that reaction. That doesn't make me a bad person. It's if I now treat this person unfairly because of that reaction that I'm having. That's what makes the situation bad. So you can have biases and in and of themselves, they're not good or bad. It's how you react to those. And so you just want to check in to say, is my unconscious bias in line with what I believe today right now? Of course not. I don't care if you're Italian or whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a nice person to you. That's where I'm at today. But that unconscious bias is there because of what I've gone through. That doesn't make me a bad person. It's just now I got to be conscious that, hey, if I'm going to hire somebody and there's an Italian person, I have a natural tendency. So make sure, Sejo, that you hire this person based on objective factors, based on the skills, the qualifications, the requirements, et cetera, et cetera. And so That's really where I think we need to do the work. And it's doable. It just requires effort. And I think it's so important what you said about it's not bad to have these thoughts, especially in light of what you've been through. I think a lot of the times we have thoughts that we know to be harmful or negative. We immediately blame ourselves. We say, oh, I can't believe you're thinking this way, that you're a terrible person, whatever it is, the self-talk that we can give to ourselves. And I think it's a kind of a relief to be like, it's okay to have these thoughts. It's the actions that you take from those thoughts that matter. You can choose. It's the choice that you make afterwards that matters. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point right there. We can't change what happened before, but we can change what we do now and how we react to situations now. For many of us, this is the beginning of our journey. Yeah. As long as more people understand that it's not about judgment. It's not about canceling anybody. It's not about shaming anybody. It's really about, okay, we need to learn about our own tendencies, our own beliefs, our own perspectives, and then figure out where you want to go with that. And that's the thing is we just haven't had the tools to be able to do that before. We weren't given the support to do that before. We weren't given the resources to do that before. We certainly weren't given the education to do that before. But now we do. We have the internet. We can get online. We can type in unconscious bias and do the work to learn about it on our own or hire a professional to come in and teach you and train your teams on how to do this so that you can succeed as an organization, but also put your people first. Absolutely. And in addition to being the founder of Train Extra, you're also the chief civility officer. What is a chief civility officer in the context of Train Extra? 
I call myself that because I really felt that it was important to start educating people about what incivility looked like and that it was a range of behavior. So generally, when you're at an organization, your illegal behaviors, your sexual harassment, your discrimination, any kind of harassment, any kind of illegal behaviors, but it's a whole spectrum. It could be abusive conduct, bullying, which is not illegal, but still bad behavior. It could be dismissive behaviors. It could be rude behaviors. It could be subtle acts of exclusion or microaggressions. It's a whole range of behaviors. And so I talk to organizations about civility is that we want to empower your team to start addressing those behaviors when they first start to happen, because these behaviors, they're not going to go away until we address them. They're going to continue and they're going to get worse until it becomes illegal behaviors. So let's empower all of your team, not just your management, but everybody on your team to be able to recognize what's going on and empower them with the skills and the tools and the scripts to do something about it. Now, obviously, all of this only works if there's psychological safety. We want to encourage people to bring these issues forward or deal with them on their own, but we need to give them the tools to be able to do that. We don't want to just tell everybody, you know what, anytime there's a problem, go to HR, which is what a lot of organizations do. We want to teach people that you're both adults. You can work on your own. Here's some ways, some shared language, some common things we can say to each other, some common ways we can deal with each other. If it's something like sexual harassment, obviously then you got to get HR involved. So I think there's a, there was a lot of emphasis on issue escalation versus what I'm out there talking about, issue resolution. Let's help people learn how to resolve these issues on their own. In the CLE world for lawyers, there's also like civility in the law and in ethics and civility that a lot of lawyers are taught. And a lot of times this civility is also so transferred to behaviors between, let's say, not people at the same organization, but like opposing counsel or a judge and a lawyer or things of that nature. Does Train Extra also address issues outside of people in the same organization? Yeah. Look, I take a broad approach to civility in my workshops. Civility in the ways that I'm talking about it is really that if there is situations where you might have two people who have a different opinion on something. How do we get past that situation? And really talking about, look, the floor is dignity and respect for everybody. Regardless of your perspectives and whether you agree or not agree, we're all going to commit to treating each other with dignity and respect. So that's the first prong. And then also talking to them about making time to address these situations, not just to ignore it, to brush it under the carpet, hope we'll go away. And then also just talking about civility as making a commitment to engage in certain ways to try to resolve the problem rather than going into it with some kind of negative sort of approach. Assume positive intention from each other and to know that you're all on the same team. Because again, when I saw this uncivil behavior happening in the workplace, a lot of times it wasn't that there were toxic work cultures. It was just that this behavior wasn't being addressed. And anytime you allow that behavior to go without addressing it, it's a matter of time till it turns into a toxic work environment. Yeah. Oh, Sejal, I could talk to you for so long about this. I would love to ask you a few rapid fire questions if you have a few more minutes. Sure, absolutely. All right. What does leadership in the law mean to you? I look at leadership. The basis of leadership is the capacity of the leader to change the mindset of other people. And so lawyers have a lot of wonderful skills, right? We have hopefully empathy for others, communication skills, analytical negotiation skills, all of these things that we can use, conflict resolution skills, ethical standards, diplomacy. These are all skills that I would hope that most lawyers have. And so I think you can use all of those 
in helping you lead and influence change to help change other people's mindsets. Great. Thank you. And what would you say is one thing people seem to misunderstand about the work that you do? I think people might think when they look at what I'm out there doing that I'm out there saying that training is the only solution and that is absolutely farthest from the truth. What I'm out there saying is training is an important part of the solution to creating better workplaces, right? It's not the only solution. I've heard a couple of people say, you're just out there talking about training is the only thing that's going to fix everything. And I'm like, actually, no, training in and of itself alone is never going to work. You need to focus on how you're going to change behavior in your organization. And a training like my civility at work program is going to get people's buy-in to do that work of changing the behavior. So unless the person knows about what they're expected to do or what is going to create psychological safety, we can't really get them to move, to motivate them. But it's not the only solution. It is just the very important part of the solution for cultural change. Absolutely. Really important point. Thank you. And lastly, if there was one thing, I think I already know the answer to this and you might have answered it earlier, but I'm going to ask it again. If there was one thing and only one thing that you could improve about the legal industry, what would it be? Yeah, absolutely. More education on unconscious bias, cross-cultural competencies is another area on bystander intervention. There's just so much that needs to be done in that whole entire industry as far as education goes. Great. I want to thank you so much, Sejal. You're doing really incredible work. I really enjoyed talking to you so much today. I've learned so much from our talk, from your TED Talk. If someone wanted to connect with you online, how could they do that? So you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm constantly sharing valuable resources and information about culture, unconscious bias, about leadership, all the topics that we've been talking about today. I make it one of my missions to find solid, good information and share it on LinkedIn. And then you can also check out my website at www.trainextra. There's no E in the extra. So dot com. Those would be the two big, two main ways to get a hold of me. Wonderful. And as someone that follows Sajel, I would 100% agree that you need to follow her right away because everything that you post has been really informative, really educational, as well as very inspirational. So thank you, Sajel, so much again for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry, with almost five stars and over a thousand verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers who lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.